I think it's fair to say that we are living in spiritually thirsty times, aren't we? I think we're living in emotionally thirsty times. We're living in emotionally dry times. You hear about the stories of anxiety, depression rates that are going up and up. Even Craig, who's part of us here in this community, a lecturer at uh, King's College, just sharing about the new wave of students and the, the type of mental health that they have and the desperation, the emotional needs. It's clear that this city is thirsty for strength, it's thirsty for something to fill our inner beings. We're a spiritually thirsty city right now. now. I think we're spiritually thirsty for strength. There is a sense, I think, in which when you just you pick it up, there's a sense which we need some kind of strength in our inner being. People, it feels like there's an inner fragility to people's lives right now. And there's also this thirstiness and this hunger, I would suggest also, for beauty. It's when, you see, when you see the Instagram things that are going on and this continual reaching out for beauty, either to be beautiful or to be with beautiful or to be in beautiful homes or landscapes or whatever it is, it's whatever filters, whatever it might be, there is this grasping after a beauty that somehow maybe we don't feel is within us, but maybe we can appropriate it into our lives and we are thirsting and hungering for this. And our goal as a church is to pour water onto a thirsty city. We want to provide water for where people are thirsty. We want to provide what souls need in London. And our belief as a church is that the very thing, the very thing that our souls need is not just another Instagram picture in some beautiful environment, but actually we need what the Bible calls the glory of God. The thing that our soul is actually made for, the thing that our thirsting and hungering for after beauty and strength, this sense of this desire for our inner beings is actually only found in the glory of God. And the glory of God can feel like a very ambiguous thing for some of us sometimes because it talks about you know, what is the glory of God. Over the summer, I took many weeks, not all day, every day, nine till five, but every hour that I could, just going through every single reference of glory in the scriptures so that today I could tell you the definitive answer of what the glory of God means. But I just want to, I've boiled it down into three themes. The firstly, the glory of God is his nature. It's his characteristics, it's who he is. It's the infinite perfections of God. That if you were to meet him, you would meet his character and say, this is his glory. And if you were to break all of the, the component parts of his nature down, really it comes down to two things, his strength and his power and his inherent beauty. The Psalms talk about God like this, declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And it says, splendour or beauty and majesty, strength and augustness are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Why do we give him glory? Why do we claim glory to him? Because when we look at him, we see strength and we see beauty in his sanctuary. 
So you want strength in your life? You go to the God of glory with strength. You want beauty? You go to the God of beauty. And there you find his nature. Secondly, the glory of God has to do with his presence. In the Old Testament, when God descends in the temple or on Mount Sinai or on the tabernacle, we're told that this fiery cloud comes upon the tabernacle. And it's sometimes called the presence of God and sometimes it's called the glory of God. And those two things are used interchangeably. So the presence and the glory of God are synonymous. The glory of God is the manifest presence of God. There are sometimes in worship, you might have even felt like you touched something of it this morning. And there is a sense in which he seems like he comes close have you ever have those moments and you feel like the God who is up there or in the Bible suddenly he feels close to you that's the glory of God his presence coming close to us and thirdly we're told in the Bible that the glory of God is he's just his significance kavod the, the Hebrew word in the in the Old Testament literally just means weight the weight of God that God has weight he has meaning he has significance he is important that when he lands other things shake around him there is nothing that can land around him and he will shake he is always the one that leaves an influence and a reverberation around him because he has glory so when you meet the God of glory what happens is not that you can add him into your life and say hey God I'd love you to come with me and help me with a few things actually when you actually meet the God of glory the one with true infinite weight your life shakes and your life changes your life is influenced because you meet his glory his weight and some of you have experienced that I am still experiencing that I did not expect a few years ago to be teaching the Bible in church this is not what I had planned but what happened I met the glory of God and my life is still reverberating with that encounter So I want to just suggest to you, if you're spiritually seeking here today, if you're not a Christian, I want to humbly suggest that the thing that you are actually looking for is not something in this world. The things in this world only awaken a passion in your heart for the real thing, which is God himself. He is the one that your soul longs for. I've experienced this. As a teenager, I grew up, and as I look back now, I think internally, I was quite empty. There was like a grayness inside. There was something that I was trying to fill with all sorts of other stuff. If you'd have looked at my life on the outside, you'd think, that life is going really well. It looks very nice and comfortable. And yet internally, there was something that I was grasping for. And it was only until a pastor said, why don't you read the Bible for yourself and read the Gospel of Mark for yourself? Not just go on here saying, not what the culture says, not what your friends think. Read the Bible for yourself and find about Jesus. When I actually saw in Jesus glory, I saw strength, I saw beauty, I saw a man who was captivating someone I knew that I could not sit on the fence anymore either I had to leave him or I had to follow him but I had to do something with this man of glory Jesus Christ and at that stage everything changed and I sometimes go back to those moments I remember I did my A-levels and I got a job in a cafe in Ealing Broadway and uh, I I used to be the one who opened up somehow. I think I was like junior. So I was like, yeah, you can arrive at 6 a.m. and open up the, the coffee shop. But I remember I would be reading these chapters about Jesus in the morning and it would be dark and I'd be walking just a mile or so to the coffee shop. 
And I, I had no vision of church or leadership or preaching or getting in like mission or I had, I had no understanding. I just knew that I had met this man, Jesus. And I remember just walking down the road, just singing his name. That was just his name in itself was just beautiful to me. And I just loved to say his name and enjoy who he was. There was nothing else to it. I just loved Jesus because I'd seen something captivating in him. And when we meet Moses in this moment, this is really what we find. We find a man who is not working on some program, but we find a man who has worked himself to a point where the only thing that he actually wants is God himself. So to set the scene for this moment in Exodus 33, 34, Moses has been sent back to the people of Israel who are in captivity in Egypt to take them out of slavery into the promised land. There is this massive mission that Moses has been sent on. You are going to take this people group, maybe a million plus people, some historians think at this point, you are going to free them from captivity, from the most powerful nation on the earth. Firstly, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. How does one man do that? You are going to take them from this land you are going to take them through a wilderness you are going to take them to a promised land where they are going to rest and they are going to inhabit that land forever and ever and ever and so Moses goes back faithfully with an inkling of an idea as to how this is going to happen only that God himself has sent him and he brings them miraculously through the glory and the strength of God flexing his strength in front of Pharaoh he gets glory over Pharaoh takes them out of Egypt he takes them through a miracle through the Red Sea Pharaoh's army is defeated and into the wilderness and then the first thing that happens is God calls them aside like before we go any further you and I are going to have to talk as to how this covenant is going to work I need to talk to you and lay out the groundwork the, the, the ground rules for this covenant so you wait here at Mount Sinai I'm going to call my servant Moses up to the top of the mountain I am going to descend and Moses and I we are going to have a tete-a-tete and talk about the covenant and so Moses faithfully walks up this mountain and the glory of God descends on the mountain, this fiery cloud. You've got to imagine the, the, the Israelites down below. They've just seen their leader, their esteemed leader, the one that did the, the thing that no one thought anything could ever happen. He has, he has led us out of captivity. And they've watched Moses walk up this mountain into this fiery cloud. And a day goes past and another day goes past and then a week goes past and then two weeks go past and what happens is rather than waiting faithfully for their esteemed leader to come back so they start getting fidgety and they start talking to Aaron the sub-leader and they says look Moses has gone into that cloud up there we think he might have been maybe consumed by God or is it really God maybe it's just a cloud maybe God isn't really who he says he is and he's actually got some devious plan why don't we make our own God and worship that God and say that he rescued us like the stupidity of this moment is unreal until you realize if you're a Christian the amount of times you, you read about God in the Bible and then an hour later you're like oh my goodness well what have I this is all of us and so the, the Israelites they, they literally take off their jewelry they burn the, all this down they create this golden calf 
and they choose to bow down in the presence of God like God is just there you can imagine God like I can still see you like what are you doing like I know what's going on and they're thinking no 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 maybe he can't maybe his back's turned and they're worshipping this and so God I mean it's like the teacher you know like I can I've got eyes and God literally has eyes in the back of his head he sees everything and he is getting increasingly furious with his people that he has given everything to rescue his people he has good and loving generous plans and yet the way his people repay him is by basically going away from him in his own presence committing adultery in his own presence and this wrath is inflamed in him this jealous rage so that he tells Moses I'm going to destroy my people I will start with you but I'm going to destroy my people because of their sin and so Moses first prayer you get this progression in this, this discussion with Moses up in this mountain the first prayer that he prays is Lord please do not destroy your people please don't destroy them and a lot of us struggle with this idea that God would be wrathful and he would want to destroy like how does it feels like because the, the only framework we have for kind of anger and wrath is generally our anger and you're like how can how can God be angry but we've got to be really careful that we don't extrapolate our own experiences of anger and wrath and then take what we experience and say well that must be what God experiences because God is not an extrapolation of us it's not just a bigger version of us a better version of us he is a totally entirely different holy being he is a category unto himself therefore if he is wrathful it is a very different thing to us Don Carson, uh, who's a theologian, he says this about this moment. He says these words. For God not to be jealous of his own sovereign glory and right would be a formidable failure. He would be disowning his own unique significance or weight or glory as God, implicitly conceding that his image bearers have a right to independence. So for God not to be wrathful at that point, he's saying, is to deny his own glory, his own godness, because he himself is the true source of joy and peace in this world. And the, the, the reason why he went on display in the first place with his glory, his strength and his beauty, is that we would find life in him. So that for him not to be wrathful is him not to be God and not to be loving to us. The very purpose for which we are created is to know him. And so Moses prays, please, will you not destroy your people? And God says these words. He prays these words, sorry. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. And then God says in, ver in chapter 32, verse 14, the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So we get this first prayer please don't destroy your people tick and then he moves on to this second prayer the Lord says I'm going to go with you but it's going to be an angel who goes with you in verse in chapter 33 verse 2 it says I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites the Amorites the Hittites the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites go up to a land flowing with milk and honey but I will not go among you lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people 
It's amazing. This is God saying, I'm going to go with you now, but it's not actually me. I'm going to send an angel who will go, because if I get too near you, my anger might be elicited again, and I might just consume you in my wrath. Just, I want to go with you, but I cannot get close to you. I am so furious. And so we get this prayer in Exodus 34, verse 14. Sorry, verse 15. He said to him, if your presence, Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other pe people on the face of the earth? What makes us distinct as a church? It's not that we've got nice branding, we've got a good venue. It's the presence of God. What makes us distinct from any other social club, any other gathering that might happen over this weekend? Some gatherings honestly may have more fun than us. They may do more exciting things from us. There may be a more attractive thing that's going on for them. But what is it that makes us distinctive? It is the presence of a holy and august God. The thing that actually London is longing for. Life, inner life, joy, peace, meaning, significance, purpose in the meeting, the encounter with the glory of God. And Moses says, we, we're, not going, we're not going to go an inch unless your presence. Don't send an angel. We want your presence. And so God says this in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. So stage one, people aren't destroyed. Prayer answered. That's quite a good prayer to be answered. Prayer two, would your presence go with us? Tick. And yet, this is not enough for Moses. And a lot of people at this stage would say, we've basically got everything that we want. We're not destroyed. We live another day. Whoop, whoop. Okay, we're going to go into the promised land and we've got God with us. So there's a huge task ahead of us. There's people that are to be wiped out. There's people to be, we've got the land to take. We've got to move, we've got to walk through this wilderness. We need provision and we've got God with us. So Moses at this point has everything that he needs. He's got a sustainable source of food in the manna and the quail. He's got God with him to sustain his leadership. He's got God and he's going to clear a path for the new land that's going to come. Everything is on. And a lot of Taipei people will be like, hey, our prayers are answered. Let's crack on with the thing and go now. And a lot of us, to be honest, I probably on many days are like, cool, we've got everything we need. Let's go. And yet Moses waits behind and he has one more prayer to pray because he has touched in prayer in communion with the glory of God he has touched something in God where he now cannot just go and use God as a functional source of getting things done he has touched something in God that has awakened something in him where he now wants God not just for what he can do for him, but for God himself. And I try to imagine the gap between verse 17 and verse 18. And I can only imagine this is a long, quiet, contemplative pause because he knows the kind of danger that he would be in to pray this kind of prayer and have it answered. And Moses said, I just imagine this moment, he just, 
Lord, there is, there is one more thing now that I, I need. I'm not happy just to have you go with us. I'm not happy just to have you do things for us on our behalf. I'm not just happy now for you to give us the promised land. I'm not just happy now for you to give us our happily ever after. I want something far greater than a happily ever after for the Israelites. And so he prays this prayer. Please show me your glory. There is a sense in the heart of Moses that he is saying at this moment, I could leave all of this, all of the land flowing with milk and honey. I could leave the promises. I could, I could leave everything, every earthly blessing. The one thing that I actually want is to see your glory. What everything else points to, Lord, I want to know you. I want to see you. I don't want to just have you from afar go with us. I want to know who you actually are. He is praying, Lord, would you take me into the depths of who you are? Many Christians, I would suggest, don't ever get to this point. That actually we're quite happy with forgiveness, tick, into heaven, tick, yep, there's a, there's a nice life coming, hey, I've got some financial breakthrough, tick, my life is going a bit better now, tick, etc. And most of us stay at that prayer and we're happy to coast with God at arm's length. But Moses, in communion with God, gets to a place where he is not satisfied with the things of this world says the one thing i really want now the thing that's been awakened in my soul is to see you to go further up and further into your glory there are riches in your presence that i want to know lord i want to discover who you are i want to discover true beauty i want to discover true strength I want to discover the source of all life. I want to go into infinite depths with you, Lord. It's an incredible prayer. And it's a dangerous one because Moses knows what it is for divinity and humanity to meet. This is not an easy thing to come together. This is not like, oh, let's pour some Ribena in some water, mix it up. And it's also, it's, this is radioactive combustion on an infinite level that could happen if sinful humanity would meet with infinitely holy God. This is not, oh, this is, this is something that could go terribly wrong for Moses. And there is a sense here in which Moses is saying, I am willing to let everything go wrong if it means that I see your glory. He's already said in the previous chapter, he already lives on the brink of life and death because he says in verse in chapters um, 32, sorry, he says in verse 32, 32, but now if you will forgive their sin, but he says, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses already lives this awareness that I would be willing to die for the sake of my people. He, he lives knowing that there is something better than life. There is something more than just earthly blessing. And he comes to the final conclusion that the one thing I want, the one thing my soul so desperately craves for is to see your glory. The psalmist says it like this, Psalm 63. He says, oh God, you are my God and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, 
my lips will pre- praise you. Can you imagine? I've found a love and a glory that is better than life itself. So by the way, I'm going to leave all of this because I've found something better. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? There's a pearl of great price and someone found this pearl and he says, I'm going to sell everything I have to buy this one thing. What kind of foolishness does that look like to the world? You say, I would willingly let go of everything that I know that's comfortable right now because I've found something better than life. This is what Moses comes to, this place. There's an old song, I think written by Fanny Crosby. It says, take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world. Can you pray that prayer? I mean, it's not easy. I'm not saying, eh, let's you know, throw our lives away. And... But is there something deep down in your heart that says, Lord, you could take the world from me right now? Health, family, friends, anything that is comfortable to me if it meant I had Jesus. And I understand that if you're not a Christian here today, you think, you are nuts. Like, what, what, what kind of religion is this? It's a religion where you see the glory of God and everything else fades in comparison. It does a funny thing, actually, and this isn't in my notes. Because I grew up with this funny idea that like, probably God was into morals and like, being a good person, but not really into joy. The funny thing is, Jesus says, you know, you seek the kingdom, you get everything else thrown in. If you get to a place where you can say, take the world, but give me Jesus... And we actually see some of the sparkling glory of Christ. It actually makes the rest of your life sparkle as well. It doesn't make it grayer. It makes it sparkle, actually. It's this odd thing. It's just, there's, a, there's another hymn that we, we sing about where everything um, fades away. In some ways, it's, I'm not sure it's true because you see the glory of Christ and actually you see the radiance, the glory of Christ everywhere else in every other thing. Suddenly you eat a meal and it used to be great, but you know the glory of Christ now. And you eat this and it's like, oh my goodness. It just awakens something to how good must God be if he's made spaghetti bolognese and red wine like this. So we travel the world and we look to see things like the Grand Canyon and we we climb great heights to see the world from vantage points and we get on planes to travel to see oceans and we want to see pictures of the depths of what might be at the bottom of these incredible sights and all of this is just an inkling, the faintest inkling, a 0.00001% by a few infinity percent of the glory of what God would actually be like if we met him God knows it's dangerous and so he says the thing that you've asked for I'm going to do but he says I will make all my goodness pass before you that's my nature his glory before you and I will proclaim before you my name the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy but he said you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live and the Lord said behold there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by I will put you in a cleft in the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. God knows how perilous this is for Moses. And yet Moses is willing to risk his life if it meant for one passing glimpse of this glory. 
and I'm praying even now as I speak, you just something would awaken in your heart and think, I, w- I want to see something in my soul desires to see something that would make everything else sparkle in this world if I could just see one glimpse of the glory of God. And then we're told in chapter 34, verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is the glory of God, his nature, his intrinsic being on display for Moses to see. And the cry of the Old Testament people was this cry that God would come down again and again and again. Isaiah would pray this prayer in Isaiah 64.1, the Lord would you rend the heavens and come down. There was this cry amongst the people of God, would you come down again that we might know you? God knows to come down among sinful people is just not going to happen unless you want to be destroyed. And so God in his gracious nature does eventually answer that prayer, but not by coming down in a cloud, but by coming down in flesh, in a man, in Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. And this is the incredible thing, that here in this moment, we, Moses gets to see the back part of God. And in Jesus Christ, we're told, we get to see the very face, the front of who God is, his very presence. So if you want to know the glory of God, the brightest place to find that is in Jesus Christ found in the Gospels. You want to know glory, you want to know joy, you want to know peace in your life, meaning, significance, you want to know weight deep down in your inner being, read the Gospels and find Jesus who is the radiance of the glory of God, Hebrews 1. 3 says that's where you go and on the cross we find Jesus displaying all the manifold glory that is in God all of his attributes all of his character his nature so we read this moment in Mos- in, with Moses where the Lord proclaims the Lord the Lord of God merciful and gracious where do we know that the Lord is ultimately merciful and gracious it's in the cross of Jesus Christ where do we know that God is ultimately slow to anger it's in the cross of Jesus Christ where do we know that God is ultimately abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to you and your good and your well-being it is in the cross of Jesus Christ the glory of God is him suffering for your good how do we know that he keeps steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin it's in the cross of Jesus Christ how do we know that he will not clear the guilty it is in the cross of Jesus Christ that he would willingly even slay his own son so that you may go free because he will not just let sin go free as an injustice justice will be done and it is done in his son that is the glory of God that he would even suffer for you And my hope and my prayer really is just that we today have a growing appetite to pray this very simple prayer, please show me your glory. Honestly, I, I, I have been stuttering this week with this prayer because I'm just, I don't want to just ad lib say that. You know, do, do I really want, like, do I really want it? Do, do, am I more satisfied with my birthday present, which I'm already hoping I'm planning right now in October, which seems to occupy a lot of my time with actually going with God 
and I'm just being very honest because like I'm not some weird I'm just like I've got all these weird longings and likes and I get obsessive about this thing and I end up researching for evening upon evening upon the headphones that I really really would like I'm like no. could, I, could I let all of that go in my best prayers in my best moments yes I want the glory of God I want him I want, I want an awakening our name is Trinity Church London and it's a, it's a deliberate attempt to place the Trinity the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit at the very centre of who we are the wood, 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 could we go under the church radar in London and yet if we had the glory of God be happy for me as a church planter could we not get any fame you know no, no, no one would come and ask us how are you doing things at Trinity Church London how can we learn from you could no everyone ignore us as a church and yet if we had the glory of God we would be happy because I know him and I've found something far better than anything else in this world and this is where true revival starts if in our hearts we are truly satisfied with God because our vision is to see the glory of God known across London and the nations and it is not going to be known across London outside of this room if in our hearts first and foremost we are not delighting and enjoying his glory we will not have anything to pass on any delight to share with anyone else if we ourselves are not delighting in him hey I'd love to know your God he looks really boring to you and you don't look super happy about having to go to church but yeah sure I'll give my life to your God the only way that people are going to be intrigued if it looks like in your life that your God is better than everyone everything else and you take more delight and more joy in him than all the stuff that the world offers that you get the promotion an amazing degree and all these things and money and all this and you say oh yeah but i'm willing to live give all of that up because i've actually found something better in jesus only then when we found that kind of glory will anyone be interested in what we have to offer psalm 85 says this will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you show us your steadfast love O lord and grant us your salvation what is revival what is it to have a heart revived it is to take ultimate joy in jesus christ it's to find steadfast love in him and this joy that overflows this is what happened in jerusalem wasn't it there was just a small band of men and women praying and the glory of the lord passed by and they saw something of the glory of Jesus and what came out of their mouths. They praised God and his wondrous works. That's what came out of their mouths because what had come in? The glory of God. It was a passing by of his glory. That's all revival is. The Lord coming down and being gracious and saying, my glory will pass by for a moment. It happened in the Americas in the 1700s, what's now called the Great Awakening. And it was simply just the glory of the Lord passing by. I'm going to display more of my glory to you than you've ever seen. And we're told of these meetings where men and women would be shaken to their core because they saw something more beautiful than they'd ever thought possible. Let me just read one account just to awaken some hunger in us today of Jonathan Edwards who wrote a, many journals, but he wrote of one moment, and this is just one of many. He says, once as I rode out into the woods for my health, this is the 1700s and he was in a rural town, so just, you know, like Richmond Park, let's say. 
having alighted from my horse in a retired place, as my manner commonly has been, to walk in divine contemplation and prayer, I had a view that was for me extraordinary. I saw the glory of the Son of God, a mediator between God and man, and his wonderful, great, full, pure, sweet grace and love, and meek, gentle, condescension or humility. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent, with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception, which continued as near as I can judge about an hour. This kept me the greater part of the time in floods of tears and weeping aloud. I felt an ardency of soul to be what I know not otherwise how to express, emptied and annihilated. I wanted to lie in the dust and be full of Christ alone, to love him with a holy and pure love, to trust him, to live upon him, to serve and follow him, and to be perfectly sanctified and made pure with a divine and heavenly purity. This hour that Jonathan Edwards had where the glory of the Lord just passed by and he broke down and wept because he'd never seen anything so beautiful. In the Hebrides, uh, in Lewis, where my dad's family come from, there was a, another moment where the glory of the Lord passed by in the 1950s. And it's, an, it's a crazy place. It's a rugged, rural, not a lot happens there. I mean, there's a lot of sheep and uh, quite old buildings. And Tora and I went on there on honeymoon because I thought it'd be romantic to take her to the McLeod Stone. It was either that or Tuscany. And I'm still not sure if I made the right decision. But we got there and it really is rugged and where with this, this this glory passing by starts in this little town called Barvis and when I say a little town it really is a little town and you drive up to it and there's like hardly anything there and what we're told in these moments is that um, there was a few elderly women and the local minister and one or two others who were praying evening upon evening into the night asking the Lord that he would do a mighty work and one night after they came to this place of letting go of everything, the Lord descended upon them in this incredible way. And Duncan Campbell, who came a few weeks afterwards to go and be a part of what God was doing, says this. When that happened in the barn, the power of God swept through the parish and an awareness of God gripped the community such as hadn't been known for over a hundred years. An awareness of God that's revival and on the following day the looms were silent little work was done on the farms as men and women gave themselves to thinking on eternal things gripped by eternal realities amazing what would it look like for the glory of god to pass by our hearts and then london suddenly people to be awakened to true beauty and true strength it'd be amazing and all I want to do with this message is just ask us to seek God, even first for an awakening in our souls, that we might be the first and foremost to have the revival in our hearts. Let me ask you what you long for. No hands up, please. Just what do you want? Simply. What do you actually want? What's the thing that your mind contemplates when there's nothing else to think about? When you're on the tube and you haven't got a metro and there's nothing else to do and there's no reception on your phone, where is it that your mind goes? What do you really want? What do you spend your time scrolling through? 
What do you actually want in this life? If someone watched your life for a week and knew your inner thoughts and your inner minds and your inner longings, what would they come away concluding is the thing that you actually want in this life? Would it be the glory of God? Would there be the hunger deep down in there? The thing that I really want is God. Because here's our problem as a church in general. That actually our desires are not strong enough. There is this inversion of Christianity that goes around that if you want to become a Christian, you kind of have to kill some of your desires. You've got to like squash some of your desires. Buddhism says that the the source of all of our suffering is desire and longing. Trishna, that you would, all this longing and desire for other stuff in life is actually the source of all of our sufferings. And if we could just kill all of this, then actually we would approach this place of peace and harmony once again. And yet when you read the scriptures, actually the converse is true. C.S. Lewis says that actually what the problem is with the church is not that we have too many desires, is that our desires are not strong enough. Let me read this because you're looking at me blankly at the moment because you're not believing me. C.S. Lewis says this, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He says, we are far too easily pleased. It's a total inversion of Buddhism. It says, no, crush, no, Christianity says, you better inflame all of the passion, all the desires that you have, because if you do, you will realise that gaining all the things of this world is not enough. You are too dignified and too large a soul to be satisfied with all the things of this world. If you really do desire, you would look at this world and look beyond it to the very God who made everything in the heavens and the earth. We need to be those who fan into flame our, our, our passions, not those who kill them. Actually, this is Christianity is a place where all of your desires are fulfilled, not in the things of this world, but in Jesus Christ, because he is the one who fulfills everything. I actually don't have a, a close to this sermon, so the danger is that I just keep ranting. <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> I just want us to pause for a moment and if the band could come back up Um, because as a church and as Christians we we don't want to we're not into hysteria or emotional hype Um, because when the glory of God comes and you see something of his cavernous infinite sparkling beauty and might and strength when something in your heart jumps when you see him it's way beyond just the emotionalism of a meeting it has ramifications for the rest of your life you can never purchase another thing in the same way you can never go on a holiday in the same way you can never go to work in the same way 
because you realise you've touched something of the real thing. Let me just in the in the moment of quiet, just maybe thirty seconds, just still your heart and ask yourself this piercing question, what do I actually want? Holy Spirit, who searches hearts and minds, whose glory descends on us, we pray, even descend now. We do dare to ask that you would pass by, displaying the glory of the Lord. I pray for us that you would display something of the the strength and the beauty of your presence, the weightiness of who you are. I just sense as well that in this quiet, there may be a moment of confession for some of us. A confession because there have been other things that have crowded our hearts. I know what it's like. We walk through life and we accumulate all these sudden things we didn't know we wanted. And they, they crowd out our true passion and they make us half-hearted creatures. So even in this moment now, you might want to just confess to the Lord the one who is gracious and kind and who loves to have things out in the open so he can bring healing and wholeness and fresh revelation of who he is. And I also want to make an invitation that if you're not a Christian here today, that the invitation to become a Christian and to know God is an invitation into infinite joy. It's not an invitation into morality. It's not an invitation into greyness. It's for invitation into sparkling beauty and strength. And the, the means by which we enter into the glory of God is simply by saying, Lord, I lay out my inner life, all of my wrongs, all of my good, all of my bad. I give it to you and I receive the life that is in Jesus Christ. And you can do that even now as we worship, as we pray, you just speak to the Lord in your heart and say, I give you all that I am to receive all that you are. We're going to respond now to the Lord. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing. And as we do this, 
my request is that as we as we sing we actually sing prayer to God like Moses on the mountain with the glory of the Lord that actually the glory of the Lord the outer parts of who he is is with us now and that you commune with him and look to him and express your desires to him amen